Call me sentimental, but to me, the most joyful moment in sports is the soccer goal. And when that goal happens at the World Cup, well, it's pretty good. I'm Brian Phillips. With the 2022 Men's World Cup approaching, I'm making a podcast called 22 Goals on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's about 22 of the most fire emoji goals in the history of the tournament. We're going to have so much fun. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, it is Wednesday, August 10th. Today, we're going to be talking about the creator economy, something that didn't exist 10, 15 years ago. Now it's a $100 billion a year business. Everything from dancers on TikTok to shirtless party bros on Instagram. Podcasters, Matt, you're a creator. I'm a creator. I'm part of the creator economy. Follow me on Insta. Everything in your feed and on your platforms that entertains you and is not professionally produced content. It's a huge business, and it rarely gets covered the way it should in the mainstream media. One of the people actually doing that and doing it well is Taylor Lorenz. She is a columnist at the Washington Post, and she's formerly the New York Times. She really owns this beat, and she's a somewhat controversial internet person, and I'll ask her a little bit about that. She wrote a piece this past week in the Washington Post about Triller, which is one of the TikTok rivals. I say rival, but it's really tiny compared to TikTok, which is the dominant platform right now. We're going to get into the details of the creator economy, how these people are making money, how they're not making money, how they're getting exploited, and what the hell is going on in those hype houses. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Taylor Lorenz. Taylor is a journalist that I've been following for years. She owns the beat of the creator economy and has been writing about it very smartly. First at the New York Times, right? She came to my attention. And then uh, at the Washington Post as a columnist there. She had an interesting story this past week that we're gonna get into, but I wanna set the stage here. First of all, welcome. Thanks for having me. I wanna set the stage here about the state of the creator economy. I think most people know it's a big deal and that these people are making money as influencers and uh, creators on social platforms. But what's the hierarchy right now? It's pretty much TikTok and everything else, right? Yeah, TikTok is by far and away the most powerful social platform right now if you're seeking to become a content creator because it gives you the access to a mass audience. I would say I would put YouTube second because it's still the best place to monetize. It's more stable. Yeah, I mean, how are people making money on TikTok? They have creator programs and that and you monetize that way, but are I mean, other if you're not a Demilio, how are you making money on TikTok? 
Yeah. I mean, unlike YouTube, it doesn't offer the same kind of stable revenue source to the company. So um, you're right. Some people do make money through the TikTok creator fund. It's usually pretty marginal. Um, a lot of people make money through big brand deals, um, long-term partnerships with brands and merch. Um, TikTok has added a bunch more kind of e-commerce like figures uh, or features uh, into their platform. And you see a lot of people heavily pushing merch and other kind of product deals. So TikTok, YouTube, is Instagram still a deal? Like, I, uh, where do you stand on the Reels takeover of Instagram? I mean, I, I think that they're desperately trying to, uh, you know, remain relevant um, and, and sort of grow in those ways. I think it's so antithetical to kind of what Instagram has been for a while that it's going to be hard. Um, I would say Twitch is up there as well mm -hmm. with YouTube and then Instagram sort of below that. Um, I think because it's just very cluttered app and Reels, the, the whole beauty of TikTok is discovery, right? That's its competitive advantage is that it broke this notion of like following like every other American social network. You have to opt in to people. You have to follow them or someone in your network has to amplify them. TikTok, it's all delivered algorithmically. So you can reach a scale faster than you could on these other apps. And when you go on Instagram, people don't like to see stuff from people they don't follow, right? Like, no, it's annoying. Yeah. I said it yesterday on the show. I clicked on one roller coaster video, and all of a sudden now they're sending me roller coaster video after roller coaster video. I don't like roller coasters that much. It gets annoying. And I think creators, you know, feel frustrated by that too. They want the bigger audience, but they don't want their audience, they don't want their content delivered to people that don't want to see it. Then you just get a bunch of negative comments. Right. It's kind of a bad experience for everyone. And with TikTok, the only downside is you have to give all your information to the Chinese government. <laughs> also, it's relentless. I mean, TikTok is vicious and intense, and it's like this this really unwieldy app that I think is is hard. You know, it's it doesn't have that stable growth. You can just skyrocket and you can also fall from your pedestal really fast on TikTok in a way that's harder to do on YouTube. Right. So what kind of money are we talking about these days? I mean, you see headlines where some influencer or creator will say, I made $22 million on TikTok last year. What are the economics for most creators here? Not the D'Amelios or the superstars. Right. You've got that 1% that are really more Hollywood adjacent, right? Like the Addison Rays, the Charlies. Um, for most creators, they're not making anything like that, but a lot of them are making a decent livable income. Um, like what again, is that? Like, can you, if you are... 18 year old who looks good with his shirt off, you can be on TikTok and make a hundred grand a year, 500 grand. So I would say it's, it's harder to monetize when you're just kind of like a hot young person um, mm -hmm. because we have so many of those. Um, but if you appeal to a really specific audience, for instance, if you're a college influencer and your whole thing is sort of selling to college students, you can do a great deal with Amazon, right. On like to promote your dorm line or whatever. Like right. it's about appealing to these like niche audiences really well. So it's, there's not one blanket, sort of income, but certainly a lot of mid-level content creators make hundreds of thousands, if not millions a year. And you have a manager. It's just like regular exactly. talent where, you know, I know influencer managers who say, yeah, my job is to scour and identify people who have followings and are growing and want to work. I mean, it's really about whether people are willing to put in the work and post two to three times a day and sit down with the brands and do the deals and say, okay, I'm willing to shill for you. 
Yeah, it's a grind. And it's also, I mean, recently in the past, since 2020, you've also seen this move to kind of productize themselves, right? Like it used to be just the big stars would have their own, you know, makeup line or whatever. Now um, you see all these platforms cropping up that make it easier for these mid-level influencers to say, hey, you know, I'm not just going to shill for some D-list makeup brand. I'm going to have my own D-list makeup brand, you know, right. <laughs> for more of the income. Um, and so that's been another, another sort of trend that we've seen in terms of monetization. All right. So within that context, you wrote an interesting story this past week about a company called Triller, which um, I've been following mostly because of the involvement of a guy named Ryan Kavanaugh, who was a controversial Hollywood figure before being involved in the launch of Triller. He was the head of Relativity Media. He claimed to have uh, discovered a formula that could predict hit movies if you had certain elements in the movie that it was guaranteed not to fail. Amazingly, Lots of very smart companies gave him tens of millions of dollars, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars, and he uh, ultimately did not work out and the company went under. But he's back with Triller, and you wrote a story this past week about how they had lured a bunch of black creators, and ultimately, in some cases, those creators did not see the revenue that were was promised to them. So explain what happened here and explain what Triller is, what they're trying to do and what happened. Yeah, so there's a short form video app. Um, Ryan Kavanaugh kind of became the majority owner in 2019. Um, and it's really gained traction by positioning itself as this like American alternative to TikTok. It looks very similar to TikTok, but the algorithm is nothing like TikTok. Um, they 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 sort of were really slow to ban things like QAnon and stuff. So they got a lot of people that were previously kicked off TikTok to join them. But they they made a name for themselves in the entertainment industry because they were offering big deals to creators. They they funded the Sway House, if you remember that. Oh, oh, I remember that. 17-year-olds doing push-ups and dance videos. Yep, they had like a whole gym. It was a bunch of like, yeah, like young hot guys kind of in their element. How much time do you spend at hype houses? Oh god. Well, not as much as I was in 2020 when like everyone had a hype house. I think now people are starting to realize like these are disasters. A buddy of mine has a theory that COVID started at a hype house. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm sure there's some diseases that have, like, gestated there undeniably. Because it's a bunch of people that come from all over the world to live in a house and party and film themselves. Yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so Triller, I mean, Triller had several of these hype houses, right? They had a bunch of content houses in, in Bel Air and the Hollywood Hills. And so they kind of gave this, got this reputation for spending a lot of money to lure talent over to their platform. They, you know, leased Charlie D'Amelio Rolls Royce, like they really shelled out for big creators. Now, last year, TikTok was in a vulnerable position because a bunch of Black creators were angry at the app um, for not doing more to kind of help people give credit for certain dances. Yeah, there were appropriations going on where where white creators were appropriating dances that had been at least somewhat popular popularized by black creators, correct? Yeah, exactly. And so people thought, oh, TikTok should, you know, a lot of black creators felt like TikTok to do, should do more. Triller comes in and is like, hey, we'll be the platform for you, right? Like we have this reputation of paying big for talent come work with us. And they didn't just say, they said this to 300 black creators where they said, you know, we'll give you $2,000 a month. We'll give you equity, all this stuff. You know, they also launched Triller Live last year, which was this live streaming component of Triller, this live streaming programming. They also told all these creators, look, we have this reputation for paying a lot of money, like come work with us. They did tons of activations. It turns out a year later, a lot of these people had not been paid um, and they had not been paid for months and months and months. And it put these creators in a really hard position. And 
I think it shows the downside of kind of relying on these apps for income. Like it's really hard. You kind of try and jump to one, but it's a really small game. You're really only relying on TikTok. I think a lot of people had high hopes for Triller. And as we've seen, it just didn't work out. And we're talking like they're promising them tens of thousands of dollars to move over there. I mean, this is not a low stakes game for these creators. And, you know, the the downside is you're dealing ultimately, as you are with all of these companies, with global platforms that are really interested only in scale. They are. This is not like you're dealing with HBO where they're trying to curate a brand here. They just want the content that's going to get the eyeballs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about eyeballs. And also, like, I mean, numbers are so transparent on all of these apps. And so it's really stressful. Like, you really have to kind of deliver. I will say these creators did deliver. These creators fulfilled, you know, the, the all the stuff that they needed to do. They produced the live shows. They produced the, the monthly content. But Triller, I mean, Triller seems like it owes a lot of people a lot of money uh, or has at least, you know, in the past year. I think as we've I've reported this article, they rushed out a lot of payments. I, I love that. That, that <laughs> As soon as you started calling, these people started getting checks. Yeah. And, the, and one of the executives there has a, a great quote that he said to the company. Um, he says, I can't discuss it because everyone keeps suing me. I'm so tired of being sued, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but isn't it ultimately better if there are more competitors in these spaces? Like, as much as Triller doesn't seem like it was acting in the best interests of people here, like, it's probably a good thing that companies like Triller exist because yes. the alternative is domination. I and mean, we saw that with the first era of social media where the power that Facebook has. And I feel like that's kind of breaking down at this point. And the TikTok is ascendant, but they're owned by, you know, they they're, have connections to the Chinese government. The Trump administration threatened to shut it down. Doesn't seem like that's going anywhere. Um, you know, where are the U.S. competitors to TikTok? Exactly. I mean, I think we desperately need competitors also just because, like you said, it's this monopoly and it's very much like TikTok or leave it, you know, um, for young people. And I think it's it's hard because you see apps like Dub Smash got bought by Reddit and shut down. Um, there's other apps that are kind of foreign-owned that are they just don't, they can't compete with TikTok because the products are not there. And that's the thing with Triller. Triller is almost an exact clone of TikTok, but it doesn't have that algorithm. It doesn't have the functionality. Someone once said, you know, Triller is like if you shot every TikTok on an old Android and it's kind of true, like it's just a little bit, it's not the same. And so I think we need, we need more competition. And it's been hard for these short form video apps to gain competition because they get swallowed up by Facebook or look at what happened, you know, with Vine and Twitter. They're kind of mismanaged by these giants. So you need the only app that can even compete in that landscape is one that's backed by a multi-billion dollar tech conglomerate, right? Right. So we need a more competitive tech landscape, undeniably. And Facebook is trying desperately, but it just seems like your, you know, your old uncle who's trying to do the cool dance at the bar mitzvah. They're, <laughs> they just, they're not going to get this right, right? I, I mean, I will see. I think that ByteDance's product team is literally the best in the world. And so they're up against some steep competition. So, you know, you you are a somewhat controversial internet person for reasons that have always <laughs> baffled me. Why, you you know, you've reported on this world for years now. You are uh, an influencer yourself. And why do you, why, does, why do you get death threats? Why do people <laughs> come after you? Is it, what is it about the, the beat that you cover? I know. I feel like normal people are always like, why? Why are you so controversial? It, it is not. I just have to remind them. 
First of all, I've covered this beat for over a decade. I am probably the most prominent person on this beat, uh, for better or worse. And so I think, you know, you have to remember that every single person I write about has an audience themselves. I'm not, you know, out there just writing about companies or things, you know, sometimes like corporate coverage or even sports players or people that even have PR departments. If I write about some YouTuber, they're going to, you know, PewDiePie is going to make a video about me. They're going to get involved. Like drama channels are going to hop on it. There's this whole internet ecosystem that exists that the mainstream media pretty much ignores that I very much operate in. And I think um, most journalists don't operate in that world. Maybe Kat Tenbarge does too. You know, there's other reporters on my beat that are a little bit younger that are that are in that. But, um, you know, and I think because of that people see my name trending or whatever, obviously the right-wing media has kind of made me into a character. Yeah, why do they care about you? Because I write about online influence, Matt, and these people want, I mean, that is their whole goal. You have to think of how online influence is reshaping politics. Look at something like libs of TikTok, right? right? It's the influencer account. And so I think a lot of times my beat touches on politics in a way that. And libs of TikTok is an influential TikTok account that uh, loves to skewer the mainstream media and coverage of the right and such. Yes, they have actually been banned off TikTok now. So they're a huge Twitter account. They're on they're on Rumble and all these other social platforms. It's an influencer. It's this woman, Hire I Check. And um, yeah, she she she's a sort of a right wing influencer, I would say. And look at someone like the Nelk boys, you know, too. Like they play in politics. They have, you know, like these, I think more and more you see the world of internet and, and sort of influencer world and political worlds merged. It's fascinating. And I don't understand the, you know, whenever you do a story, there's like, it becomes a discourse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know what, Matt? I will say, look, we live in an attention economy. I'm not going to act like this attention has been 100% harmful. I've definitely struggled to navigate some of the like death threats and swatting and stuff. But this is also- You've been stuff swatted? That, oh God, yeah. My whole family, almost what? everyone in my family has been swatted, Matt. Um, but, I, you know, it gives me it gives me a really great insight into what these content creators deal with. Because, you know, this is something that Twitch- streamers deal with. There was a big story in the New York Times recently about this. Like, I think that kind of operating in this world and dealing with a lot of things that even like a B-list YouTuber deals with, um, it's kind of, I don't know, I think it's helped me and it's helped my reporting and it's certainly helped influencers that have dealt with that stuff trust me more because hmm. they know that I get it. What can Hollywood learn from the creator economy? Oh God, so much. <laughs> One is that they're not, you know, they're not always like kingmakers. I was thinking this recently with the media. I think that like they like to be, they like to pick and choose their people and stuff. And I think that it's it's worth paying attention to what's bubbling up on the internet, not just in terms of a talent perspective, but just in terms of like culture and kind of like what oh, well the, stu the studios are absolutely paying attention to this. Oh, yeah. And I mean, yeah. you you see. I mean, everything from the D'Amelio's getting that Hulu deal to, you know, and then obviously that's the apex of, of that world. But, you know, everything from the, the Gentle Minions movement. Yes, I mean, yes. that's a perfect example of how that was, you know, Universal saw that happening and they were more than happy to capitalize on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I, right. And it's not like Hollywood has ignored the Internet at all. Like you said, they're desperately constantly trying. I think it's just like a little bit misguided. I, I was laughing a little bit. I wrote about this when, you know, they were trying to give or everyone was trying to every content house wanted a reality show. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, you know, I just feel like we've tried that several times. I don't know that it's been successful. We had Chasing Cameron. Let's not forget that iconic show, MagCon. Um, and it's just, you know, I don't know that that's the right format that for 
for them to kind of play in. I think like you said, capitalizing on memes, using it for marketing, using these people for marketing is great. And will there be a crossover star? Like, is there currently, is there someone who has come from the social world that could legitimately become a movie star? Yeah, I know. I feel like you see it so much in music. Um, Totally. Harry Styles is happening. It's going to happen this year. (laughs) But um, yeah, that's a good question. I feel like you just, you know, a lot of these people have not they don't necessarily have the the chops. talent. You can say talent. <laughs> I'm not saying that Addison Rae will never win an Oscar, but I think it's it's hard. You know, I think what it ta- what it takes to be a really good online influencer is not what it always takes to star in a hit movie. You know, so I think it's it's a it we'll we'll see. It hasn't happened yet. I don't think. I'm and hit, what is a hit movie these days? Like, does it even matter? Doesn't even matter. I mean, a good streaming, a great movie on streaming is a hit, right? Like, I think, I think less and less people don't care so much about where it is. I think if it's on Netflix, it's seen as like a mainstream movie. But I have a lot of people in the representation community who listen to this pod. What would you advise them to look for before signing an influencer? Okay, so here's the thing. And I think a lot of people know this because I talk to a lot of like agents and managers is like, don't just go for scale. You need like TikTok has given anyone the ability to have like millions of followers. You need a really dedicated fandom and community. Much better to have someone with like a powerfully dedicated 10,000 followers than like, you know, 100,000 teens that are going to drop that person in a week when the next person comes along. So how do you determine that if you're looking for people? How do you determine who has the most engaged and active fan base? Comments? Yeah, fan communities. I mean, like, do they operate a really successful Discord? What have they done with that fan base? Are they able to sort of like flood? I mean, look at VidCon this year. VidCon was like, TikTok was the title sponsor. They brought a lot of TikTokers and there was this big viral TikTok of this woman with, I think, over 1.1 million followers that had no one at her meet and greet. It's not a knock on her, but it's not, it's not, you know, we're back in There's YouTube. There's no connection. There's not that deep connection. So I think you just have to investigate, talk to the fans a little bit more and and make sure that you're working with somebody that has developed that really strong connection with their audience. It's fascinating. I I just wonder what the evolution of this business is in the next 10 years. Where do you see it going? Well, I think that like, I'm certainly paying, I was always really kind of like, oh God, Hollywood, like they're those idiot boomers out of touch. I don't think that anymore. I think that they've definitely recognized, um, you know, the internet and kind of are definitely partnering more. I think this is a whole industry is going to kind of be absorbed in, in tra- traditional Hollywood or at least work much more closely. Like look at the way that TikTok works with the music industry, you know, like I think it's it was just- called Musical.ly. That was what it was called before TikTok. Yeah, but like you just see them working a lot more closely in in those ways that I think you used to see a lot more separation. So entertainment's entertainment at the end of the day. And I think, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. These And we'll see if another tech platform comes up and even remotely competes with TikTok. That's what I'm watching for. Taylor, thank you very much. This is fascinating. We'll have you back on to uh, check in on what's going on in the creator world. I think your coverage is fascinating. And uh, don't listen to the haters. Thanks for having me. All right, we are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. Today, Wednesday, is the big earnings reveal for the Walt Disney Company. They are reporting their latest quarterly financial results. And these have become big moments in media the past couple of years because it is also an opportunity for Disney to update their streaming subscriber numbers, which has been how these companies have been judged 
over the past five to seven years. Disney started out super strong with Disney Plus. They've also got Hulu and ESPN Plus. And the speculation is that all of these streaming services for all of these companies are going to slow down just as Netflix and some of these others have over the past few months. Uh, Disney has remained pretty strong. And one of the reasons they have remained pretty strong is because they have 40% of their Disney Plus subscribers coming from India, where they have cricket on a very complicated deal, but they are cricket on the hot star service. And that's very popular in India. Well, Disney in the recent quarter announced that they did not renew the cricket rights for streaming. They got linear, but not streaming. And that is going to take a huge toll, I believe, on Disney's streaming subscriber numbers. So my prediction today is that Disney is going to significantly lower their projections for streaming. They have said to Wall Street they're going to have between 230 and 260 streaming subscribers by 2024. That has to come down. And when it comes down, it'll be interesting to see what the market does in response to that. Everyone is just hedging their bets and lowering expectations. Basically. And the price of streaming cricket in India was so high that for Disney, it was not worth it financially to overbid and get the rights to keep those subscribers because those subscribers don't pay very much at all. They pay almost nothing to get that service. But years ago, wouldn't the idea have been it's worth it to pay for the cricket rights because subscribers were gold and more important than anything else. And now revenue is actually more important than anything else. Probably. Yeah, I agree. And the, the calculus has absolutely changed. These subscribers were never paying that much money. So the big metric for Disney is increasing the revenue per subscriber, which is very low compared to Netflix and HBO and some of the others, because first of all, Disney plus is priced pretty low to get as many subscribers as possible because they were late to the game. And because people in India are used to not paying very much money, if anything, to watch cricket. So they couldn't charge more. I mean, all the companies have had problems in India because of the pricing issues. So for, for Disney getting out of the gate late, it was very important to the former CEO, Bob Iger, to just have scale, to be able to build this up and say, listen, we're in this game. We're going to compete with Netflix. Now, it's all about revenue, and they're going to decrease, I believe, their projections for streaming. And at the same time, say, listen, we're focused on profitability and revenue, and that's what we're doing. And it'll be interesting to see how the market reacts. So that is my prediction, and that's the show for today. I want to thank Taylor Lorenz for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Horlbeck, and I want to thank you. We'll see you later this week. 